Welcome to Revenue Innovators, the podcast powered by Outreach, where we skip the usual podcast guests and go straight to the source of true revenue innovation. We'll interview mad scientists, revenue disruptors from all kinds of surprising industries. You know, Mary, all of these folks have something in common. These are people that are looking at the future and not looking backward. And you know, when we get them on the podcast, there's going to be some hot gossip and real number talk that we push them to. We love the hot mic. Yes, we do. And we're your hosts. I'm Mary Shea, Global Innovation Evangelist at Outreach. And I'm Harish Mohan, Senior Vice President of Revenue Excellence and Operations, also at Outreach. Meet us here every week, and we promise to keep it spicy for you. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Revenue Innovators podcast. Today, we have an incredibly special guest. Please welcome co-founder and CEO of Outreach, Manny Medina. Welcome, Manny. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So much, so much about this thing that I'm, I'm, I'm blown away that I'm here. Yeah, this thing is taking on a life of its own. It's organic. We're going global. We're going everywhere. But um, we're so excited to have you. And thank you for making the time to uh, speak with our audience. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Yeah. And, and Manny, we thought we'd, we'd ease you with a simple question that, you know, top of everyone's mind. I mean, it shouldn't take too long to answer. Manny, what's the, what's the future of sales? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let, let me let me start by by giving you the path, uh, how we got here, and 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 and, and then a, a speculation of what's going on in moving forward. But you know, we always saw sales as a as a way for us to develop workflows that allow sellers to communicate better with our customers. And the reason for that is that the customer's way of engagement will change as they become more mature, as they become more uh, engaged, as they you know, become more informed. And you have to meet customers where they are. And as you you needed to create a flywheel that where we enabling the rep with a workflow and the manager with the visibility to that workflow, and then observe what happens when the customer reacts to that communication, to that collateral, to that thing, and then see that deal go through and see who else is involved in that conversation and then see, see that all the way to revenue and break it down into all the pieces that are in it. So we are at a point in which we instrumented end-to-end all these pieces of the workflow. We're seeing how are we opening the door. We're seeing how we're, you know, meetings are running. We're seeing the sentiment of those emails. We're seeing all the different buying parties that are coming in and the, t- and the, and the timing of that. We're seeing upsells and cross-sells. And now we're finally prepared to come into the other end of, of the future of sales. And I think that that's where it gets really interesting because the future of sales has a lot to do with this seismic shift in demographics of this you know, these millennials and, and Zoomers were becoming the core of the digital sales force that is going to be driving the future of sales. And that's when it gets really interesting for me. And many part of that, so when you're thinking about outreach and you're, you're sitting with your co-founders, sipping wine, and was it more about ideating on, on, a, uh, on a new horizon? Or did you get a lot of feedback like CRM is broken and you, were you getting signals from salespeople that, they were frustrated with what they were asked to do, the tools they were given. And was that the genesis or was it really green field thinking that drove you there? You know, it was neither. It was, we, we called it the rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> and like Alice in Wonderland. And that, and that we always felt that by solving one problem, we earn our right to solving the next one. I like that. And when we solved the problem of workflows and emails, we earned the right to solve the problem of CRM sync. And when we solved the problem with CRM Sync, we earned the right to solve the entire workflow of sales, of emails and calls and LinkedIn touches and so on and so forth. When we solved the problem, then we earned the right to give AI guidance around sentiment and other things. And then so, like, 
sales community has been so generous to us and given us their problems and just opening them up as we continue to solve them that, you know, I wish I was as smart to tell you that I knew everything was going <laughs> to unfold this way. <laughs> it was mostly just earning our right every step at a time. And man, as a follow-on, so when, when you think about, you know, solving progressive problems, what was that moment where, you, you know, you, you, re, you reached that inflection point of, hey, we're really reinventing how people work. Like, when did you feel like this was going to be mainstream and this is how people want to engage? It came through, through customer feedback. I think it's the first time, you know, what I love about sales is that the feedback loop is so short. <laughs> you, sellers either love it or they don't. So they tell you right away, I love this tool because of X. I love this tool because of usability. I love this tool because it allows me to engage my entire book. And then you have to earn your love every day. And then they have to love you for, you know, engaging a customer you have they have to love you for booking a meeting they have to love you for driving an opportunity eventually has to end up in the wallet yeah, yeah. so if, if yeah. you don't throw off their back by making their wallets a little fatter you failed and that yeah. has been for north I love that. I mean, I, I, salespeople don't hold back, Manny, right? And um, you're, you're going to get very, you know, direct feedback. And sometimes it's really, really good. Sometimes it's not. But um, you'll already get, get the straight story. But I'd like to actually bring the conversation back to your co-founders. And, and when you were thinking about founding Outreach and, and drinking that wine that Harish is mentioning, I, I kind of think it was bourbon or something, but maybe it was rosé. I don't know. What was it? How, how did it all come to fruition? You know, I think that at some point we were sponsored by Bullets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they send us the t-shirts, we know we'll get new samples of new things. And, you know, I don't know exactly how it happened, but it did happen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love it. Well, you know, the future of selling is a topic that I've spent a lot of time thinking about, Manny. And, you know, way back in 2016 or 20, 2016, 2017, I was, I was writing about the future of sales and writing a lot about the millennials and both millennials as buyers, as well as millennials as sellers and some of the challenges that organizations were having in enlisting and engaging uh, that population and that demographic. And then also trying to help companies understand how the selling motion was going to change with millennials in the driver's seat. Well, we finally got there. So we've got millennials that are in C-suite positions um, who are very comfortable with engaging and interacting in a digital capacity who can work remotely and still feel authentic connections. Did you ever imagine that we'd get to this point? And, and how do you think things are going to change in the future? So we have everything to thank the millennials for because they are not, for them, technology is, is a full-blown expectation. That right. it's not, for them, it's not a, a dream, right? So when we were building outreach, I remember um, one of our earliest users, so, you know, we we're building this, you know, this really advanced template model that, you know, had variables and stuff. And, and, and a, a, one of our early users came and said, hey, why don't you have if then variables so that I can compose a better email based on the information that I have on a customer? And like, I'm expecting you to have it. It wasn't okay. like, you know, I wish you had it or can you go think about it? I'm like, of course you should have it. Like you should have a programming language for, for the stuff that I'm doing because, you know, I got, I got a very sophisticated, you know, workflow. And, you know, it, like you said, it, it wasn't, it, it was very direct and it was very, you know, you could sometimes people call it a little entitled, but I call them direct feedback, which is super helpful. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's yeah. a, a much nicer way of describing it. It's funny. Like, I don't know if this will be shocking to some of our listeners, but I'm not a millennial, actually. I'm a... I'm a boomer reboot, which means um, I actually slipped in at the very last second. So technically I'm a boomer, but... 
my um, digital engagement, my my proclivity for technology is more uh, akin to the millennial population. So I I really really love those folks, but. Along those lines, Manny, I just, I think you know, I just conducted some pretty extensive research with Forrester. They they ran a survey on behalf of us that wanted to get to the heart of what B2B sales leaders and revenues are thinking, revenue leaders are thinking about, worrying about some of the challenges they have, whether it's being more conversant in technology and how to go through the acquisition of large technology solutions or, you know, the evolving buyer dynamics. It was interesting when I asked these heads of sales, and this was across the US, Canada, and UK, what their top three challenges were. Their number one challenge, Manny, was managing a multi-generational sales force. And I was actually, I was shocked that was number one. I thought it would be like in the top five, but I think you're pretty close to this in terms of we've got a thousand people more or less at, at, at Outreach. How do you comment on that? What's your perspective? You know, um, I think it's a challenge. I think that um, outreach tends to skew a little younger. I think I would say, I don't know this for a fact, but I would say over 75% of our thousand employees are millennials and they're probably on the on the younger part of the millennial spectrum. This is mind blowing to me. The Zoomers are 23 year olds today. Yeah. And as you know, our average age of our SDRs is around 23 to 25. So now we have the next generation, the ones that were born with a smartphone in their hands, who don't know a world, you know, where you can't, you know, do everything with your smartphone. So I actually, I think that the, the, this new generation has a number of things that just align with me personally. And I'm not calling myself young at heart. I just, I just, you know, I come from a from a family in a in a in a world that you know we care about each other. We care about the environment. We care about uh, making sure that the tide raises all boats and that we're taking care of everyone and that everyone is seen and heard and that people can show up fully in their own ways to work. So in a way, I'm actually very excited that the company is, is mimicking a place that I always wanted to work. You know, I always wanted to bring my whole self to work with all the words and bits of, you know, being a Latinx immigrant, et cetera, and being able to be welcoming to everybody else. Because, you know, I have, a, you know, I have a, like an insatiable hunger of like knowing about other people and what they do and what drives them. And, and, and I think millennials come with that bit, too. It's just that they're online and, they, you know, they use TikTok instead of, you know, other ways. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. I mean, I think you know, Harish and I were talking about it one day that we, you know, are just a melting pot of, of, of everyone in the world sort of coming together at outreach, wanting to do good. And, and naturally, we want to be the leader in the sales technology marketplace. But I think we all want to do some good in the world. And, and that's something that I really enjoy about being with a company. And I think it's an interesting pivot point there. Like if we think about the multi-generational workforce, Manny, and, and how they're growing in stature and their expectation, you think about sales engagement and sales tech, we're reimagining the category this week. And a big part of that is, you know, you, you had chapter one in sales engagement. Now you're building chapter two in expanding that our aperture and really rethinking what the future work is from this point onward. You know, what, what, I'm sure audience would love to get your understanding of where do you think sales engagement is going to go and what's the next evolution and, and how are we helping drive that? You know, I think that the way that we define sales engagement of, of you know, building out this workflows because that's what the customer needs as what customer pain is. Now, sales engagement is being redefined into engagement and intelligence because you need to grow the workflows into, into a set of intelligent actions and intelligent insights because it's both about the workflow the engagement 
And now it's about the guidance too. So can you guide a rep through a tricky situation online? Can you guide a rep through a buying committee? Can you guide a rep through multiple personas? Can you guide a rep through somebody who came in the middle of the funnel as opposed to the beginning of the funnel? So, and then there is this, this element of insight and commitment. Because at the end of the day, you have to commit a number. You have to deliver the numbers with alacrity, with panache, with certainty, with energy. And you need a platform that does all those things that enables your reps, that enables your managers, that gives confidence to your VPs and to eventually, you know, your shareholders and your stakeholders. So the, the broaden, broadening of the, of the category is just a broadening of the pain. It's this new breed of, of revenue professionals that, that marriage a very applicable the, the, the revenue innovators who just won't deal with piecemeal solutions anymore. They just won't accept reality. They will demand something better. So the same way that you know, our early customers demanded a full engagement platform. The new revenue innovators will demand a full revenue platform with insights and with the ability to deliver a number of confidence. And man, and, you know, unpacking that, I mean, Tom Siebel played around with this, and he battered Siebel and SFA, then Benioff played around with and all of them kind of walked away and, and couldn't solve it. Why now? And, and, and like, what's driving, driving you to take this vision forward? And, and what's changed that we can solve this unsolvable problem? I think that Benioff... And so, you know, Siebel did a great job in, in bringing us a unified database for customer, you know, contacts. And, and Benioff did a great job in putting the whole thing on the, on the cloud and, and evangelizing the cloud. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. The, the Isn't world, that crazy? 20 years ago. I know. That the, the world kind of has moved on. <laughs> and, and though we're, you know, we're, we're, we're driving our, our cars and our trucks on the, on the road that, that Salesforce paved. Yeah, but we, yeah. need to, we need to get somewhere else. People want to get somewhere else. They already got the juice out of CRM. They want to, they want to get the next gear of, of production. Here. Yeah, I mean, we're living in an era where cars drive themselves. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and that's kind of what CRM Why can you guide me through a customer call? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, this is so exciting to see where we're going, Manny. And, um, you know, when you think about engagement and intelligence coming together, there's been a lot of hoopla around revenue intelligence, revenue operations intelligence, but clearly these categories are all converging. And to me, without the rich human behavioral activity data that our system's able to capture along all of these key inflection points across the customer lifecycle, you can't deliver insights and intelligence in any scalable way. And so I'm just so excited about where we're going directionally and, and how we're poised to um, really enhance the seller's world as well as everyone in the revenue generation organization. But the one thing that I think some of us don't talk about enough is the buyer and what our platform's going to do to put the seller in a position to deliver much better buyer experiences. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, the interesting thing is that if you think of a sales cycle, the sales cycle is, is a, it's kind of like a ticker, if you would, of, of a set of conversations that started with the seller and an interesting party with some amount of knowledge. And then that interesting party needs to build a, a buying group. That it usually involves, you know, the recipient of the software, that it usually involves the manager, some kind of signatory, that involves, you know, IT because it's a software, they procurement because somebody has to be paid. And so the, the group sort of like flourishes over time and you have to educate more and more people. So, you know, what we used to consider to be the buyer's journey, it's not really the buyer's journey anymore. It's, just, it's, 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 it's bringing this group along, mm-hmm. all of them with, you know somewhat similar agendas, but they're all sort of disparate in their own way, right? So IT wants to make sure that you're secure and that you're not going to be, you know, a problem in their stack. And, and procurement wants to make sure that, you you know, that they, they, they can pay you in, a, in a scalable way. You're not a one-off. 
and security is going to make sure that you know that privacy is respected, and the manager is going to make sure that you you know that you are you're sort of adding operating leverage to their operation, and the and the VP wants to know that this is something they really need and it's going to drive you. So, so everybody's involved in their own way in their own little agenda. And what has happened is in in this rise of this new generation that you know that is seen and heard, everybody needs to be seen and heard in the buying group. There's not going to be you know the one the one visit at the golf course that is just going to close the deal, <laughs> just going to ram that deal down everybody's throat. No, those are great. No, no, no more, no more, no more steaks at Capital Grill, Manny. No more, no more. I mean, I love steaks. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I think I make a better one on my own. Yeah. Well, I, I, we, we have heard that um, you've mastered the art of barbecuing. So hopefully, I'll, I'll get to try it sometime. Oh yes, you will. Oh now you, so you sign yourself up for some ribs. Awesome, awesome. So you know, when you you talk about the buying groups, it's really interesting. Um, a couple of things that I'm thinking about, which is with the future of work and the current work environment, we're seeing hybrid work environments, right? Where you're going to have buyers that are increasingly physically distributed across uh, the country, the world, and I think it's Gartner's now saying there's about at the low end for an enterprise sale, 11 buyers that are involved at the high end. If it's, you know, depending on the complexity of of the selling motion, you could have as many as 20. And oftentimes those buyers are located in different places and they have different and competing agendas. And so that presents some real challenges for the revenue team with elongated sales cycles and the ability to kind of, you know, bring everybody together on the same page. So how is outreach helping with that, that challenge? You know, one of our unique insights a couple of years ago was when we found, when we, and I know this sounds obvious, but it wasn't obvious to us because it drove a lot of our thinking was there's professional sellers, but there is no such thing as professional buyers. <laughs> Nobody buys for a living. These buyer groups are sort of assembled ad hoc, real time, based on a need that either the seller helped discover or they was latent and, and the seller just happened to be the, the one that won, the, you know, the, that, that met the, the, the pain. And this buyer group sort of like, they have to form dynamically. And in the past, you know, what was the way in which we should do it? We, you, we will call a meeting in a location, say Boston, we will call a meeting in Boston. Everybody will fly in and the deal will get done or not done. But you will have sort of like a come to Jesus moment and everybody shows up and boom. What's that seminal moment now? There's no such thing, right? Because your your you know your procurement you know moved to Montana and <laughs> and and the, your IT you know moved to Florida and and your and your CISO moved to Hawaii and all of a sudden they're in different time zones and, and they have a day job. So this purchase cycle that you're about to go through is one more thing that they're doing just for you. So the the ability to equip the seller with this new set of dynamics and help them understand who is where what makes one buyer, you know, one person in the buying group float versus the other versus the other and get that organized in a stream of workflow so that you can actually be very certain when the deal is going to close is the, is the next level of engagement. And that's why you need both engagement and intelligence to bring that whole thing together. And, and Manny, I want to pull on that a little bit, right? So engagement intelligence is kind of the, the, the panacea for the CRO. And the, the promise we're making to our customers in expand the category and the set of capabilities we're launching around engagement, you know, fixing conversation intelligence, so it works in real-time engagement and also pipeline and forecast management, is to deliver predictable, efficient growth at every at every part of the funnel. Right. 
why has that been so hard right now? Like sales tech is a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. There's not a piece. I could Google every piece of my funnel and, and find a piece of software to help. They're like, what, what, why has that been a, a lost cause until until now? And, and what is your vision with a single platform to support that outcome? You know, I, I think that... Um in the past, and, and I, you know, I lean on Mary Shandis because you know you you you've been, you've been in this market, you know, before we started it. But in the past, you would compensate for your inability to to of create certainty by creating a bigger by creating a bigger pipeline. <laughs> when you didn't know how to hit the number, you put that pipeline mm-hmm. made it four or five, six x. The problem with that is that creating this big pipelines creates an enormous amount of waste, mm-hmm. and. And also, to create a bigger pipeline, you need to increase the noise in the market. So as everybody's creating a bigger pipeline, the noise level has risen across the board. So now buyers are in this cacophony of solutions that everybody promises roughly the same thing, and you don't know what to make of it. So we are seeing the next sort of like turn of the game of, of buyers being a lot smarter, doing a lot more research ahead of time. And now you have to catch it sort of like a little bit, not at the beginning of the funnel, but sort of in the middle of the funnel. And now you have to have your, your, your ducks in a row, your talking tracks together, your buying groups determined, and to be able to actually, you know, commit, commit that deal. And I think that, that because there is less, weight, less waste and there is a demand in the market for growth and efficiency, the need for an intelligent and innate engagement platform at the same time. So you need the workflow, but the workflow has to be smart. I mean, the world has to learn over time. You can't be using the same old, you know, tried stuff in the past because it won't work in the future. And if you think about all our CROs being trained on this non-digital world that all of a sudden have to be trained in the digital world. Mary, what were you thinking about? Yeah, 100%. Manny, I, I I really agree, and I think as you if you go back to the, the buying groups and the buying groups journey, and the fact that um, these buyers are pretty self sufficient, they can have access to pretty much all the information that they want on pricing, competitors, categories. They're reading a lot. They're coming into the cycle a little bit later, which means that in the selling motion, you're actually getting less time, and. Because of that, and because of the attention spans of these buyers and buying groups, you absolutely need to be on point in terms of personalization, insights, impact, because they'll simply just move on to the next pipe if it's not a rewarding experience. At the CRO level, you're, you're absolutely right. I think we're moving to a world where it's less is more. You're probably going to do more top line and margin growth with less folks, but you're not going to go out and just buy you know another 10 salespeople if you need more money. You're going to think strategically or need more revenue. If you think strategically about weaving together you know the right talent strategies, the right tech platform, the right partners, the right methods, because it's now a world of finesse, not sort of this volume-based, let's throw everything out there and see what we get. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the way I think about it, Mary and, and Manny, I'm curious, I mean, being a practitioner in this for a long time, there's a level of trust I have in my intuition, right? But I can't run revenue with intuition. It's almost intelligent intuition. I'm getting confidence in my intuition. Yeah by getting signals from engagement into my pipeline and then into what I think I can commit as an outcome. And that hasn't existed. Right. Like we spent millions of dollars in my past trying to solve it. Like that has just not existed for any, any CRO ever. Right. And, and you know, it's really interesting. So intuition is by definition backward looking, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's the patterns that you looked in the past that you're extrapolating that are going to function in the future. But the definition of intelligence is your ability to update your beliefs. 
So you have oh, to update that. your belief. And your belief will be get updated by signals that are coming in through things that are going forward. So by having a platform where all your reps live, where you can see how customers are reacting to the messaging, how cost, you know, what the buying groups are turning out to be, where are these buyers, you know, how are they behaving, what's important to them. Those signals allow you to update your beliefs and improve your patterns so that you can have the best of both worlds. You can have your pattern matching and the, all the salesmanship that you bring to the table, but the new knowledge of, of a digital, you know, first selling organization. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think when people think about the role that AI and automation and it, it plays in the selling process, they often think about replacement rather than augmentation, Manny. And it right. just drives me crazy because what the <laughs> AI does is it's surfing, it, it's providing you with options, right? And you're using your expertise, intelligence, and experience to pick what options going to deliver the best outcome for your business. And I think, you know, we just need to do more to educate the market on that. Along the lines of forecasting, and I know this topic is very uh, close to your to your heart, Harish, and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, some research that we did with Forrester, I found that over a third of B2B sales leaders are really using outdated, non-scientific, qualitative methods. And so what do you all think needs to happen to educate these revenue leaders to really embrace some of the math in, in addition to the intuition? Well, I'm going to start off with, I I don't even like the word forecast. Um, yeah, fair enough. And I, I, I use this analogy where, you know, if people forecast to commit, the weatherman forecasts the weather for today. And if you get a, like, if the weatherman gets it wrong, it's inconsequential. But Mandy, if I got into United Airlines 211 flying from San Francisco to Seattle and my pilot forecasted he was going to land in Seattle, I would get out the plane to heartbeat. <laughs> right? Because either it's a Mount Rainier or the Puget Sound. Like, everything's in play. Like, so forecasting is, is, is important, right? And, and, and Mary, I lean into you. Like, we need to remove that concept of it's okay to be wrong. But I want confidence. I want, con- I want, I want to be able to deliver confidence in what my outcome is going to be. I want revenue confidence, not a revenue forecast. And right. it's going to come with engagement, right? Or else I'm going to be, it's the honor system where everybody moves sales stages and I'm assuming all these four checkboxes have been done and we're progressing. And that's not the way the world is. We don't need, a, it's like how we went from the abacus to the supercomputer. I mean, we, we have to embrace the change. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things that, you know, and I would love your, your take on this and yes, Mary, is that, you know, we're seeing the rise of the dashboards, Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, the dashboards are beginning more dashboards, which is beginning more dashboards. And of course, like, you know, it's kind of like that storybook. If you give a mouse a cookie, like, you know, good questions beget better questions. And then you'll never, you know, end up done with your analysis. At some point, you have to come in a number. Right. And and you have to focus on one part of the funnel because the funnel is so vast and extensive. The larger your organization, the more segments that you have, the more partners you have. You know, this thing gets pretty complex. And, you know, as a, as a revenue leader, I think you just want to hit the number and sort of like, you know, with confidence and then go home. You know, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know that you want to overcomplicate it too much. Yeah. So like the ability to break. So there is, a, you know, there is data and then there is insights and then there's action on those insights. So I, I think that whoever is able to bring the insights closest to the action, closest to the result is going to be the winner here. I completely agree. And I had a great conversation with Harish the other day, and we were talking about the pride and professional pride that these revenue operations leaders have. And I just think that we're going to put these folks who embrace the technology in an amazing position to make the right calls and and um, also be able to course correct uh, issues before, you know, you've lost deals or, be, you know, save them, uh, save them before you've actually lost them. Right. So, 
So let's switch gears a little, a little bit, if you don't mind, Manny, and let's uh, talk about the alpha platforms. And Gartner's been writing a little bit about about them. I mean, what, what's your take on this whole alpha platform story? Well, uh, yeah, well, two, two, two areas, man. Like, there's a perspective that the alpha platform is going to win. One platform is going to rule them all. So I guess I'm looking for twofold. Number one, do you believe in alpha platforms? Or number two, do you think alpha platforms require alpha individuals to be successful? Or do you think the future of how sales looks and what a salesperson looks like is going to change inherently or needs to change? I think that our perception of a sales leader and a, and a great sales performer is going to radically change. I think that we're going to see the rise of this new seller that it's a little bit like what happened in chess and, and allow me this aggression for a minute. So in chess, it used to be that whoever can memorize the most amount of steps forward, the most amount of combination of steps would win. So eventually big blue came and they can, and big blue can memorize all of them <laughs> and they won. But then, but then the story sort of had another turn in which the competition of chess changed from being like a human to human of human plus machine against human plus machine. And then it became of like whoever had, you know, the, the, you know, everybody became level set on they all had the same amount of machinery. And the person who had the most intuition and imagination will pick the best results from the machine and actually win the game. So I think that we're in the very beginning of seeing the, the, the rep and the manager, the leader that is ready to, to use the most amount of technology to instrument the majority of their sales pipeline and, and, and operation. And that person doesn't look like, you know, the alpha, you know, the typical alpha male gunslinger on a closer deal, the golf course, and you're going to see me how I do it. I don't need to commit anything because I'm always bringing the money. I think that, that rep is time has passed. The, the, new, the new rep is, is fully tech enabled, fully relying on the AI for guidance and, and leveraging all the technology to get that deal done. And I love, I love that analogy, Manny, because, you know, Big Blue lost to Casper when he got off script. Yep. Right when he started creating and drive and, and trying to you know diversity of thought was brought in and broke the system, and I think that's exactly where sales is going to go. Like we we have been kind of monochromatic in and what a rep is and how we engage, but buyers are different. Buyers are diverse. So sellers se selling organizations yeah. need that diversity, and they need diversity in leadership. And you know why? It's because the buyers are changing themselves. You know, the buyers are now themselves millennials. The buyers are themselves digital natives. The buyers are themselves, you know, very well educated. The buyers are themselves born with a cell phone, with a, with a smartphone in their hand, and they and they and they know, you know, what a good technology looks like. So this is this is not being driven by you know us or our technology providers. This is driven by the buyers. The buyers are demanding a more engaging digital first, you know, experience. And, and I think that, and and also, Manny, like when we, Mary and I grew up, um, definitely not millennials. You wouldn't come to work and you wouldn't like you wouldn't be your authentic self. Right. right? You wouldn't talk about your political views, your social views. Like it was it, it was a taboo, but people en encourage it now for the right reasons. Right. Right. And that's gonna drive change. And you need that diversity in your workforce, engaging buyers with that diversity. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. And you know, certainly I've been doing a lot of research in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the B2B sales organization. And I'm excited to see the data that just came back from my study, which shows that CROs are really understanding that hiring and retaining a diverse sales force is now an important priority in their job, Manny. And I don't think you know you would see that in the top three to four of um, critical items in the past. So that's really, really exciting to see. Absolutely. I, I actually don't think that, you know, going forward as, as, as we, you know, become more enlightening as a society, that 
you know, a, a young or a you know middle-aged, you know, high performer will want to take a job in a place that does not match their identity, their mm-hmm. culture, their you know how they see themselves. Because you know, as we all know in sales, you want to win as a person, but you 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 you're better if you win as a team. And you're better if you win as a company. And you're better if the company matches it and, you know, your values and who you stand for. And not create that the synchronicity of like, you know, I'm just going to bring my work self to work and I'm going to hold all my, you know, personal self and bring it home because you're home all the time. So right. there's, no more, there's no more separation. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, the work, the work, world, even prior to COVID, I think we had all started to see that there was a blending between the boundaries of your work and your personal life to succeed at uh, a company like Outreach or other companies that are highly ambitious, Manny. I mean, it is just not a nine to five situation. It's more dynamic. And so I think being able to bring your authentic self to work is so key. And I have to just say personally, being at Outreach for six months now, it's just so wonderful to be aligned with an organization and a leader and a board that shares really similar values to, to, to me. And it makes me feel even more motivated to do the stuff I love every day. So I think it's a great thing. And I think we'll see more of it in the future. Absolutely. I know. Where else can you get Harish and Mary together? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I know. I know. I start to, I get withdrawal when I don't get, get quality Harish time, Manny. So I, it's, oh, I'm, finally, I'm glad to see you here today, Harish. So, and, and so Manny, like, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, one of the things I, like, I was so proud of as we reimagined the category of engagement and intelligence was you were, you were pedantic that this is about customer outcomes. We're doing this for the customer. We're doing this so they realize value. We're doing this so they can do their work with confidence and go home. Yeah. I'm wondering, is, you know, as you think about building the company and building the vision, what are, what are some things people get wrong as they, as they try to reinvent themselves? Like, what are some of the cardinal sins of reinvention? The number one thing that I see that I, I sometimes I throw up a little bit in my mouth is when I see rebranding as a product <laughs> you know when that's when that itself is something worth calling out like you know what's the customer benefit of your new brand like i, right. I, I don't understand like a new color like what, what's that gonna do i mean you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's pretty pretty, pretty pictures pretty pictures right. yeah i just i just don't understand you know we all should be aligned like the market is so big and so demanding of what they need from us that we all should be aligned about solving the customer pain and just get into it faster like no cycle should be wasted on anything, you know, that is fluffy or not, you know, accrue to educating the customer and getting the customer the outcomes that they want. But what about a billboard? A bill, like one-on-one billboard? Like, I mean, we're, no, they're not going to solve problems. Who, 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 who <laughs> trends to work anymore? <laughs> 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 maybe I missed the memo that we're we, 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 we like, Really? Oh, yeah, maybe that's a customer. Oh, my goodness. We could put some lights up on the NASDAQ. Well, anyway, I do agree with you that it is about really focusing on the customer and um, what's going to benefit them. And also, I think given that we're in such a transformative period of time, Annie, um, providing that helping hand for the customers in the market by um, showing them new directions, new ways, uh, providing educational services, thought leadership, things of that nature. To me, that's much more important than um, different colors on a digital uh, page. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, old joke aside, I think that we all should invest in, in communities and in, in, in yeah. building communities where they can exchange ideas, where they can troubleshoot, where they can, you know, all of us are thirsty for more information to find out more. And, and, and now that we're fully digital, People are more available for this kind of engagement, and I think that they're going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of the future of this hybrid world, and that, in that we're going to be learning from each other, but it's going to be a little bit in person and a lot online. So this, the investment in community to me is is the one thing that you know 
I wish we do more. We do a lot of it right now, but we can do more of it. Yeah, I think the more we are separated physically, the more we want to connect in a deeper levels, either you know, in digital, audio, remote types of formats, Manny, I think it's really crucial to keeping everyone connected and um, driving the innovation forward. Manny, thank you for spending time with us talking a little bit about the future of work, the future of sales. More importantly, for also inviting uh, Mary and me to the next barbecue. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, what, what a pleasure. And, you know, I think we're all excited about what engagement intelligence can do together in a, in a single platform and really de- delivering the efficiency and predictability and growth for our customers. And with that, everyone will tune in next week. Please hit the subscribe button. Give us likes on uh, the podcast. And Mary and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Revenue Innovators podcast. We want to keep the show really relevant and we want to hear from you. Tell us what you like most or what you'd like to hear by leaving us a rating and a review. And of course, we are partial to the number five. And if you're a revenue innovator and are not part of the Sales Hacker community yet, you're missing out. Go to saleshacker.com and become a member, ask questions, get fast answers, and share experiences with 20,000 like-minded professionals who are shaking up things in their own organizations. Thanks, Sarish. So we'll see you all back here on this podcast every other week, where you'll learn from the world's most disruptive revenue innovators. 